This episode is proudly sponsored by The Helix, a new innovation district located in New Brunswick, New Jersey, the heart of the Northeast Corridor. The Helix provides a critical ecosystem for innovation by offering a range of physical environments, a vibrant community of leading innovators, and a strategic central location on the Northeast Corridor. The Helix will uniquely mix workspaces, classrooms, laboratories, venues, and collaborative environments creating a dynamic community and setting for innovative minds. Universities, startups, Fortune 500 companies, entrepreneurs, researchers, and many others will all call the Helix home. Thus far, the Helix has assembled a community of innovative private and public organizations, such as Rutgers Health, the New Jersey Innovation Hub, RWJ Barnabas Health, Hackensack Meridian Health, universities from Ireland and Israel, and others. The Helix is where ideas will come to life. To learn more, visit helixnj.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com and the Star Ledger, welcome to the Rutgers Rant, your one-stop podcast for the Scarlet Knights, with your hosts, Steve Politi and Rutgers insiders, Brian Fonseca and Pat Lenny. Let's start shopping. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Rutgers Rant. Politi here, Fonseca, Lanny. Holiday season, folks. Lots going on in Rutgers athletics. We're going to talk about more good news. Players sticking around with the Scarlet Knights football team. We're going to talk about the big contract extension for Greg Schiano. Everyone expected it, but still, when you see the numbers, you're like, whoa, hey, big news. We're going to dive in a little bit to the uh, Twitter kerfuffle, I guess. We'll call it that. If you were on social media, you know what I'm talking about. We'll talk about that in a few, but we need to start with the big news, at least. I think it's the big news because I'm so rarely right. And it appears that I am right. And you guys wouldn't listen to me about Rutgers going into the portal and getting a quarterback. And here we are. They are going into the portal and they haven't gotten a quarterback yet, but it sure looks like they are actively pursuing a quarterback. Ethan Kaliak Manis practicing that pronunciation. So yeah, are you going to tell me I'm right or am I still wrong here? Go ahead, Brian. Greetings from the bushes of my apartment, and I hope it's okay that we're talking about this publicly and you're all consenting to this conversation. First of all, good morning. Happy holidays. So a couple things. One, sorry to burst your bubble. Uh, Chris Sakonis, a colleague of ours on the beat, is Greek, and he tells me it's Galek Manis. No, it's not. I just listen. I listen to the Big Ten Network people. I listen to the Big Ten Network highlights. I wrote it down. Understood. Understood. Are any of those people Greek? I don't know. Okay, Galek Kalik Manis. We're all going to call him Kalik Manis. Oh, I'm just busting your balls. Anyway, look, you were right. I was very surprised that Rutgers took the plunge and pursued a transfer quarterback. This is the point of no return. Once you pursue a quarterback in the portal and you bring him in for a visit, this is a clear signal to Gavin Wimsett that there will be competition in the room. Sorry, in the room. And I thought they would not pass that line. I thought they would kind of stay with Gavin, let him feel comfortable as the guy. Clearly, they are taking a risk here because Gavin very well in, in this age of the transfer portal could decide, I don't want to compete. I am the starter. I thought I was the starter. If you're bringing in competition, I don't want to stick around. I'm going to go somewhere else. That's a risk they're taking. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but that is the calculus you have to take. Now, where I am going to defend myself, where I think I'm still right, is that Ethan <laughs> Kaliabanis is not a better quarterback than Gavin Wimsett oh, on my face, with, undisputably. They are essentially the same player. They have, I mean, Alcalic Manis is slightly more accurate, but he's not very accurate. Their numbers are pretty similar. He doesn't run it as much as uh, Gavin did, but his like efficiency numbers while running are similar. I watched four full games of his over the weekend, and like I, he misses a lot of throws deep. Um, he doesn't, to his credit, miss throws five feet away from him by 30 feet over the receiver's head. But I'm, my point here is like, this is not a clear upgrade at quarterback that you would hope to get out of the portal. This is a roughly similar player 
which makes sense that it is, it's him because he has connections to Kirk Shiraka. I'm just saying, like, you're not getting a guy who's coming in as the bona fide starter. You're getting a guy that's coming in to compete to be the starter. That was my point, that this was really the only kind of option they had in the portal as a quarterback. So I think as a nice compromise, I think we we're both right, you and I, Steve. Oh How about that? Pat, who's right? Pat, you take it. I give it to you. Are we both right? Uh, Steve is 100% right. Because Brian was like, there's no chance that they're going to bring in a quarterback. And clearly that is incorrect. I just want to make one point that if you're not willing to compete for your starting job at an FBS Power 5 program, you don't really deserve to be the quarterback anyway. So if if you can't deal with that and a little bit of pressure and adversity, then, then you're not cut out for it anyway. That's And I just think... I'm not saying that that's Gavin's philosophy at this point. Um, I just think that if, if you're going to go that route and just uh, immediately flee, I think that that is, you don't have yeah. the the guts. Right. And he and Gavin should, I mean, Gavin should enter that competition it, it, with an expectation that he will win or can win the job. He's exactly. has as many like starts. Was, just like it was with Evan Simon too, right? That was a, a bona fide competition for a little bit. And Gavin came out the winner. Right. He has as many starts in the Big Ten as uh, he led this team to a bowl game. I, I you know, I, and I would I would argue with one point. Like, I don't think that I know what the stats say. I don't think that Howie McManus is a little bit more accurate. He seems like he is a, a, a touch more than just a little bit, like from what I've seen. And the numbers when he was. Last year, the wheels fell off in Minnesota. The numbers when he was under Shiraka and some of those games late in the year, I know it's been been floating around. He was a lot more accurate, and it with with Shiraka calling plays, with better receivers, with a better offensive line. He's stepping into an offense that's going to have a decent offensive line. The Big Ten's leading rusher. We're good to, we'll talk about it in a minute, but upgraded receiver now. I mean, you would you would think that that would be a benefit to him and to th- that point to Gavin Wimsett, right? I mean, that that's, that's also true, but I think he is, I do think he's an upgrade as a passer. He is an upgrade as a passer because almost every quarterback in FBS is an upgrade as a passer, right? Uh, Gavin was the least accurate quarterback among 157 FBS quarterbacks with at least 125 dropbacks. Kyle Kamani's was the 13th least accurate quarterback among that group. Uh, so the, what you could point to is that his adjusted Completion percentage is higher because their receivers drop balls at some of the highest rates in the country. Like their receivers, despite the fact Minnesota had better wide receivers, they drop balls to like an unfathomable degree. So you can point to that. Sure. One thing on the competition thing that I think is interesting, there is a report from the Star Tribune, I believe, or the Pioneer Press out in Minnesota, that part of the reason Kalik Manis left is because P.J. Fleck would not guarantee him he was the starting quarterback for next year. So in a way, Kalik Manis also fled uh, from competition. I know his father disputed the fact that some mythical quarterback coming in from the portal is not the reason they left, but it is plausible to think that you're, he was the starter, much like Gavin. They have very similar trajectories where they played a little bit as redshirt freshmen. They're the first time full starters as, red, as redshirt sophomores. They struggle, and now they're both kind of in a quarterback competition with the coordinator. They both spent a year under. The parallels are very interesting. Two former four-star quarterbacks, just all that, all that stuff. Uh, th- to answer your question, is he more accurate? Absolutely. Is every other quarterback in FBS more accurate than Gavin Wimsett? Absolutely. Is he that much more accurate that I think he's an automatic win in a quarterback competition? I don't think so. Okay, that's fair. Absolutely. Is he? Is he definitely coming, Pat? Do we know? Do we have a good sense at this point after talking about it for ten minutes? Are we going to find out? Like- when you think of like stars aligning in every situation, the Soraka correct connection, right. his father's from New Jersey, it, it's all lining up. Um, I'm, I am surprised that maybe it didn't happen over the weekend, though, because, right, if everything fell into place, you would think mm-hmm. it would just be a done deal then. Uh, but it but it wasn't. And I just, I just want to add that Soraka's offense is so catered to these third down and short completions and making the easy throws and things like that. So it really is a system fit and you look at Tanner Morgan and his other quarterbacks and it just seemed like he wants a guy that can just master his offense. And if he already recruited this guy and played well with this guy, it just seems like you can read between the lines of the situation. It's got like a Tommy DeVito feel to me with, with if, if his agent comes here dressed like Zorba, the Greek, you know, and they're hand, they're handing out, uh, Zeros to everyone in the in the stands. Gonna be. I'm trying to think of a good of a good uh, 
of a good Greek meal there that they could be handing out. It could be something. We could be talking about his equivalent of cutlets. It's exciting. All right. Daimir Miller, though. We this is a definite way he is coming. And this might be you could make an argument that this is bigger news to get their biggest target in the portal at wide receiver. Uh the numbers when you read them, you're like, holy cow, you can do that in college football. 90 receptions for almost 1,300 yards, nine touchdowns. Um, hit Texas Tech, FAU, a bunch of schools, a lot of them. Rutgers got them. Um, you know, give me the sense here, guys. Is 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 this as big a deal? as it could be or is there a catch here i know i think it's a i think it's a really big deal uh ruckers has gone this route before with jaquay jackson plucking him from the division two ranks and he turned out to be a pretty pretty good transfer portal addition you would think that these numbers of course are not <laughs> going to be replicated and in, in, in any way at the fbs level but uh Rutgers clearly needed another receiver. It's a big deal to get it. And, uh, you know, a guy that played at Monmouth down the road is certainly, uh, I'm, I'm sure they, there's plenty of familiarity there and, and a nice addition. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a win-win for everybody. Miller gets a shot to prove that he can play at the highest level. Rutgers gets a guy with experience to, to plug and play. Brian, do you think this, the receipt, the receivers in this team, other than, um, maybe a couple exceptions. This will this will look like a completely different unit here. I mean, if you if you get Miller in there, if Chris Long is back healthy, uh, if they finally, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with Nassim Brantley. Everyone keeps asking us. We don't know. They don't know. But just assuming that 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 they do get win that appeal, that this could be a completely different set of weapons next year. Well, what I will say about Miller, what I do know is that he had he broke the Monmouth single game receiving record. He had a game with 333 yards against New Hampshire. Uh, that is more yards in one game that all but two Rutgers receivers had all season. Uh, obviously, to your point, numbers are not replicable, but to have a guy that's that prolific that could do that to anybody, any college football team, is a huge addition. Uh, to the Jaquay Jackson comparison, because I think that's a good comparison. I think a lot of people make it. Jaquay Jackson, Jackson was a borderline All-American D2 player. This guy is a consensus FCS All-American, first-team All-American. He is yeah. inarguably one of the best receivers at the second level, and those guys generally trend really well at the FBS level. Florida State last year had a kid in a similar spot who had a huge year uh, from Albany. So I think it, it's you cannot state how big of a deal this is. I think the fact Aaron Young, this is very interesting. He's uh, from the same hometown, Coatesville, Pennsylvania. They played in high school together. He hosted him on his visit. And then after the kid committed, went into the transfer portal and is leaving Rutgers. That kind of is a, I know we talk about the culture of Rutgers a lot, but for a kid to be willing to do that yeah. before leaving the program himself, is a very nice sign right. to uh, what Greg Schiano has built and how mm-hmm. this team, even guys that are leaving, want the success of the program. Yeah, leaving the leaving the program in very good terms too. Like Aaron Young just needs playing time. He's not leaving because he doesn't like it here. He's just looked at the situation and made a business decision, right? I mean, there's no... Yeah, there's and no, you can't blame any kid who does that. I think a lot of the kids that entered the portal did that. Evan Simon, Max Patterson, guys like that. Can't blame a kid for wanting to play, obviously. Yeah. So your point about the receiver room, I don't know uh, Chris Long. I just don't know you could trust him to stay healthy because he hasn't. Uh, the last couple of seasons, Nassim Brantley is a complete enigma that we may not find out until the season opener against Howard, if he's on the field or not, who knows how that's going to work out. I think Christian Dremel coming back is a huge, huge addition for them just by the, the fact that he was their leading receiver. And if you can make Dimir Miller, your top guy and Christian mm-hmm. Dremel, like a secondary guy, like that is a very nice start to the room. Right. And you have a third guy, either Chris Long, Nassim Brantley, even if Fama they Torre. Yep. I mean, uh, yeah. uh, when you, and Ian Strong. Yeah, mm-hmm. there you go. Any yeah. of the young guys, even if you had another guy through the portal, I think you have a good base there in the wide receiver room. I don't think you're anywhere near having like a top end receiver room. I think it has a lot of work to do, but I think the floor next season will be higher than it was this past year. Absolutely. It has to be. No question. All right. The other big piece of news, six years, essentially what is a six-year, $42 million contract extension for Greg Schiano. No surprise. Again, we, you know, the moment he beat Indiana, we're, we're, we're out there uh, and you're like, okay, well, when are you going to do this? You know, and we figured it would be right around here, right before. I mean, again, he was good. Greg Schiano thinks of, he's always making sure it's the best, the best impact for recruiting. You get your contract extension, uh, a few days before early signing period starts, that's exactly the signal he wants to send to people. He's going to be here. Both coordinators get next year. I mean, it's a big time commitment. And I just talking to Greg Shannon about this, Pat, it's like, this is the way 
I mean, Rutgers didn't operate like this in Greg in Shiano 1.0. Like this is a different Rutgers program. You have the uh, you have the resources now uh, for for keeping coaches, for making sure your head coach is extended and happy. Uh, it, it's just a different world, and it's it's a significant amount of money. But you know, I mean, it, it's what the Big Ten is. Absolutely, and you really get the sense that Greg has so much trust in his coordinators that he wants them to stay and he wants these guys to be the leader of his program. And that's why that commitment is also just as important. And that's kind of what didn't happen in the first go around, right? They just had a revolving door of offensive coordinators and you're putting in a new system every year. And it's almost impossible to find consistency that way. That that's certainly led to a lot of issues at Rutgers, but you know, you're bringing back your stud defensive coordinator who put together a top 25 defense along with pretty much every starter on that defense, you know, Shiraka's system, it led to a little bit of improvement this year. Obviously, the running game was much improved. The big picture is the stability that Rutgers has. And like you said, a lot of that is because that's what a Big Ten program has to do. Like, you have to be able to just keep it all together. And, you know, that consistency will be will be key. Let Flip Dixon add into the list of, of guys who are sticking around. Again, we've talked about this a lot, but if you, I think it's even more than nine of the ten of the guys you would want to stay have stayed. Everyone, other than Max Melton, essentially at this point, that you would make a list like we need these guys to stay have stayed. Brian, it's going to create a lot of. There's going to be a lot of excitement going into next season. I know they still got a bowl game here, um, but this is going to be. You know, people are going to see six and six building block returning the entire team essentially. Right? You're going to people are going. This is going to go into 2024 with a lot of buzz. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Max Melton, Greg Schiano even admitted, he told him to go to the NFL, that it was the right time. Uh, and he said he he revealed that he played the start of the season with a broken hand, which uh, is is pretty nuts. Max Melton posted a story yesterday on Instagram saying true story with x-rays of his hand. Uh, so we have medical confirmation wow. that he did break his hand. Um, but yeah, you bring back pretty every 50-50 guy that was on the roster, because uh, I wouldn't classify Max Melton as a 50-50 guy. He was pretty much gone. But every 50-50 guy is back. The the floor of your defense is incredibly high. And the ceiling, if you can get Wes Bailey, Wesley Bailey, who looked like he was limping most of the season, if you get him back to full health and as explosive as he's looked at his best, that's a big bump in edge rusher. You got Mohamed Ture back, who is one of has been your best edge rusher for three years. Have him back. You have your linebacker set. You have your defensive line. The only real hole in the defense right now is the middle of the defensive line, defensive tackle. They have two guys graduating from there. You probably need to get someone out of the portal to fill in there. They had a guy visiting last weekend, Anthony Johnson from Youngstown State. He ended up committing to Illinois. But you guys see that that's like the one area they have to bolster. But everything around there is just you have such a high floor. You have guys hoping to make it to the NFL. So it's kind of like a contract year in a way where guys feel like they have to prove themselves. And that's always good to have that extra motivation. And you feel talking to these guys, unfinished business, job's not done. They feel like six and six. Bowl game is nice. They want to do more. They want to win eight games. They want to win nine games. The schedule is favorable to do that. You bring back your coaching staff and your coordinators. Joe Harris-Simiak, a guy who was a contender for a head coaching job at James Madison, was on hot boards for big D.C. jobs at USC, at Penn State. Uh, a proven hot commodity that Rutgers was able to keep. You bring He bring, brings back all his key players. You have developing young players in the pipeline as well. I think... Rutgers was going to have to have a good defense to have a good season. That is set from where I stand, barring any you know catastrophe, knock on wood. The question is obviously now the offense. Uh, how much can they improve their offense? How many more weapons can they give Kirk Shiraka? And who's going to be playing quarterback for Rutgers against Howard? Those are really the big questions left. Experience the Heldridge Hotel, a luxury hotel that's perfect for both the business and leisure traveler. Ideally located within minutes of Rutgers University, the Heldrich is convenient to all the action and activities at SHI Stadium, Jersey Mike's Arena, and the Rutgers University campus. The moment you walk through the doors of the Heldrich Hotel and Conference Center, you know you're someplace different. A place with an independent spirit and a boutique vibe. A place where you can immerse yourself in your meeting or event as easily as you can the local culture. Located in the heart of the city, the Heldridge lets you experience all that New Brunswick has to offer. Whether you're coming to New Brunswick for a fun weekend with friends, in town for a Scarlet Nights game, or attending a business meeting, book your accommodations today at theheldridge.com. All right, well, good. That's a good transition to true or false, because that's the first item on the list for you guys. 
Let's start it. Let's lay it out there. True or false? Ethan, Kaliak Menace will be the week one starter next season. Pat, what do you think? I think they, I think false. I, I still think that Gavin, they've, they still believe in him and it, it's, it's too early to, to just change. So I'm going to say false. Brian? I think true. If you bring a guy in like that, you you don't bring a guy in like that to be your backup. I think he has a great connection with Turk Shiraka. I think there will be, assuming Gavin Wimsett stays, which is no guarantee, but assuming he does, I think there will be a spirited competition. I think ultimately, Kalik Manis will beat him out because of his improve, better accuracy. And I think it will be the first time in quite some time at Rutgers where we have a legitimate, like, if he starts and he has a couple of rough games, the calls for the backup quarterback will be there. Uh, but we'll go down the line. I, to answer your question, true. I would be surprised if Kalik Manis is not the starter against Howard. He's committed yet. We're already talking about this. Right there. Yeah. I'm going to say false and break down this quote. This quote, uh, both quarterbacks are going to play against Howard. This is a quote we're going to hear in like August 24th. It's going to be one that, that I, I think we're going to hear. Maybe Johnny, maybe they could bring, bring back Johnny Langan to take one snap like they did against Boston College a couple of years ago to have him as a starter. Uh, all right, next true or false. True or false, Gavin Wimsett will be in the transfer portal before summer. Is Gavin going to stick around, Pat? True or false? I think so. I think he will. Yeah. I, I think yeah. your, your question, your, the answer to your question is false. I think he's sticking around. Brian? I think it's possible he sticks around. I think there's a good chance he sticks around. Mm -hmm. I will say false. Or, or sorry, yeah. wait. He's, the question was, he's going to be. In he the will. Portal. He will be in the transfer portal. So. I think the answer is true. You think he's going to be in the transfer portal? I think not necessarily in this window. Mm -hmm. I think there's a there is a world where he sticks around for spring camp. They have the battle. He feels like he's on the wrong end of it, and he says, "I'm going somewhere else where I could be the starter." So I think true. Okay, I, I uh, I'm going with false. I've seen no evidence to suggest yet that he is going to. So uh, until then, uh, I'm going to believe that he wants to stay and compete. All right, true or false, Fran Brown is turning Syracuse into an orange-colored Death Star. Pat, there's a lot There's a lot of Fran Brown hysteria. Is it, is it, are you buying it, true or false? Have you seen Syracuse's schedule for 2020? I have seen it, yes. It is ridiculously easy. I mean, they're going to be like, they're going to be like nine and three. Yeah. Uh, it's so, yeah. I, th I think there is definitely cause for concern. And think about all the guys that are on Rutgers now that are stars that we're talking about coming back. Fran Brown recruited most of those defensive guys. Oh, that's a great point. Wow. Okay. Brian? Why are we talking about Syracuse? Who cares about Syracuse, Steve? Right. All we this. have is several 10-page threads on every message board about Rutgers. And every tweet and story we write, there's 70 replies saying, who cares about Syracuse? They're not a rival. We totally don't care about Syracuse. Stop talking about Syracuse, Steve. Stop, please. All they did was get the quarterback that as soon as he hit the portal, every Rutgers fan was begging him to come to Rutgers. All they did was get a bunch of highly rated kids. And we totally don't care about Sy Fran Brown and Syracuse at Rutgers. I, I, but, but I'm being serious. I don't care about Syracuse. I haven't thought about this for seven hours a day for the past three weeks or anything. What was your question again? Uh, I don't remember. Uh, I think the question was whether or not it's a little overblown here. The Fran Brown to Syria, Syracuse hysteria. They did get, what's his face? The quarterback. Kyle McCord. Kyle, Kyle McCord. Thank you. It is crazy. I do think I was crazy. I was surprised by that. At the same token, clearly there's something going on there. Like, I don't think he didn't leave Ohio State because he wanted a better situation. He left Ohio State because Ryan Day had his foot between his butt cracks and kicked him out the door. Clearly, that's what happened there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how he ended up there. It's very, very strange. Don't quite get it. Um, but to the broader point, like, I, I just don't think you, you can't worry about this until he proves that he can build this long term. Someone pointed out that every coach has a bump. Like Chris Ash had a bump when he took over. You know, it's like everybody has this moment. I mean, Fran Brown has not run a program. Running a program now, and you're seeing it with Greg Shano, like recruiting is it's still a major part of it, but there are like 53 other things now. There's the portal, there's administration. Like Greg Shano's never been more of a CEO. Uh, that's
why he needs his coordinators to stay because someone has to coach the football team while he's raising money for NIL. Um, I, so before you get crazy and get carried away with Fran Brown, I got I got to see it over over a year or two. That, that's what I have to say about Fran. Two things. Did Chris Ash ever get a five-star quarterback? Just remind me. I don't remember. Did he? Well, this is a different time, dude. This you pulling him out of the portal. I get it. Yeah, of course. This I was stunned by that. Absolutely. You gotta yeah, I, I get I'm it. Just, I'm just making sure I'm not misremembering the Chris Ash era when they had a five star quarterback. So you are you here to tell me that because he got he got Kyle McCord, you think that this is gonna be some sort of regional power based on two weeks of good of good good stuff up there in Syracuse? You think that he has turned the corner that Syracuse is now gonna be the beast of the east? This is what you're telling me about what's happening what, up there? What I'm telling you is that these false equivalencies of Chris Ash recruiting, like um, because you're not the first person to bring this up about the Chris Ash bump. Bo Melton is not a five-star Everybody gets a bump. Everybody gets Every, a bump. Everybody gets a five-star quarterback in the portal in their first week, Steve. Obviously, everyone does. Here's where I will agree with you. Uh, and this point has been brought up a bunch. They have no coaches on that staff who have ever called a single play. They are coaches who are elite recruiters who get a ton of talent. But the major question is, can they make that talent play good football, right? That, to me, is a very fair question. And I think the answer to that is it, it could very well turn up to be a catastrophe. I would, if in 12 months from now, we find out Syracuse went 4-8 and eight and Kyle McCord regressed significantly and all these highly ranked kids they get don't end up playing well, I wouldn't be surprised. But my point is that to downplay the fact they got a five-star quarterback, they got a four-star wide receiver out of Georgia, they're getting a bunch of highly rated high school kids, there is a buzz in Syracuse football that there has not been in quite some time, I think is a bit disingenuous. And I think comparing anybody to Chris Ash in any form should be, you know, should be, it's completely unfair to compare anybody to Chris Ash, okay? Frame Brown is not Chris Ash. And Chris Ash could, Chris Ash could have taken over a thousand programs over the next a thousand years, he would have never landed a five star quarterback. You're just, I know you're just missing again. You're missing the the point being that a, like a bump early on, and I get it. It is a significant bump. I understand that, but I'm just not prepared to, you know, think that he is building Georgia up, and it's still a, it's still a middling ACC program until to proven otherwise. It's Rutgers Boston College gone. with bad colors. All right, let's move on. The best Christmas movie, Elf. True or false, Pat? That's a good transition. Great question. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this true, back to uh, true or false. Planet Earth. Uh, false. False. Are you going to tell me what it is? Or are you just going to Christmas Carol? Muppets Christmas Carol is the best <laughs> Christmas movie. The Gonzo reference. Okay. Or right. or Home Alone, Lost in New York, the second one. Jeez, those are two bad choices, but okay. Oh, oh man. All right. Brian, best Christmas Carol. Is it best Christmas movie? Is it Elf? True or false? I was Pat stole stole the answer from under my breath. Home Alone 2 is the greatest Christmas movie of oh all gosh. time. Without a doubt. I watch it every Christmas. And I does the rock do the Rockettes count? Is that a movie? I was watching the Rockettes on, on Wednesday at 2 p.m. I get out of the, the place, it's there's three percent battery left on my phone and i see pat lanny talking about a new contract for greg Schiano and kirk shiraka and Her joe harris Simiak, and i'm like what in the world is going on like obviously they didn't i'm not i'm not an idiot and i'm not that self-absorbed but yeah i gotta think like you know do they just wait for me to get into the rockets like was somebody watching me in the bushes of new york city street to watch me get into the rockets before they drop this news what's going on here well it is a garden you know that that, that... Uh, Dolan has cameras there, so clearly it's possible that they had cameras trained on you when you walked in there. Absolutely. Yeah. The Rockets were great, by just, the way, if just, anybody was curious. Just to clarify, Brian is on his phone 24-7 for this one-hour window where he was seeing the Christmas Spectacular. Uh, it was it was, it was a shocking revelation. How'd you like the Rockets? Lovely. I thought it went too fast, honestly. When they were finished, too fast. I wanted more. Wow. I wanted more. It was only an hour and a half. The uh, you know you hear about the can cans and all that fun stuff, but to see it in person, the coordination, the way they're all like in sync, really, really is uh, very impressive. Okay, all right. The best Christmas movie for the record is "It's a Wonderful Life," and there's no there'll be no debate on that. Just what clearly, a 
What a boomer answer, man. No, <laughs> oh, no, it's answer. just a universal answer. Oh, and if you want God. if you want it even more, you want to go a little bit recent, a Christmas story. You can yeah, use that course. one too. Of course you can use that one, but those are one and one A for me. And I don't care if you call me a boomer. That's fine because it's true. Yeah. yeah. What do you say, right. Davis? You sit around on Christmas when Seth Davis is live tweeting It's a Wonderful Life. And you're like, oh my God, I can't wait. This is my favorite tradition. Seth Davis? Really? I didn't know that. Okay. And finally, true or false? It's hard to shoot a good video of a minor from behind a tree. Pat, what do you think? Is that true or false? Is that difficult? I mean, you've got the branches there. I mean, it's like, it's a tricky, it's a tricky angle, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely, definitely, tr definitely tricky. True. <laughs> uh... All right, so I'm not even going to let Brian answer this, but this uh, this is what, so this is obviously, we've got to talk about this. It's a serious thing. I made a little joke, made a little light of it there, of course, but when we asked for insider questions, I, about 80% of our of our insider questions were about this. Brandon Knight uh, took a shot at Brian on the Twitter. If you're not following this, if you're not following this on Twitter, God bless you. Thank you for not being on social media, especially that social media hellscape. Totally understand it. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I feel like we need to address it because uh, it's out there and uh, we didn't put it out there. Um, it really leaves us no choice but to um, but to talk about this. <clears throat> and I just want to make it a book abundantly clear before Brian even had to say a word about this, that Brian did nothing wrong here. Like if you if you're wondering, well, there must be two sides of the story. Just know that there's not. There's not like it's nothing. He did nothing wrong, and to the, to the point that Brian has received apologies from both Pat Hobbs and from Steve Peichel uh, on behalf of the Rutgers Athletic Department about this. Um, and and Brandon Knight uh, made a you know a defamatory statement about uh, Brian shooting video of minors in bushes and trees. It just could not be any more false it's a little a little disgusting i very rarely have been as angry as i was on friday when i saw this pop up uh, we weren't gonna we weren't gonna um respond to it until he doubled down on it uh and it just kind of left us no choice and and you know it's just there's a lot about this to unpack you know brandon if you're listening and i told you this when i talked to you you should delete your social media i mean it's just clearly that this is you know you're not helping the program with this stuff to begin with. And if you think we're going to stand here and let you do this without responding and without uh, defending ourselves, you're just wrong. So that's that's what happened here. Ryan, I don't know if you need to say more than that, but go ahead, please. If you've got something you want to tell the audience, I I, uh, I completely understand. I just want to thank people who, who reached out over the last very strange days. Uh, thank you. I think everybody that defended me, you included Steve, uh, you know, Pat, you were there to support uh, all the people that tweeted and texted and DMs. Uh, and the fans who fought back against the other fans with who, who understandably sided with the head coach of the team they support, or the, sorry, of a key coach of a team they support. I get it. I appreciate the fans that push back. I want to make it abundantly clear. I have never stood in the bushes for a story. I have never filmed a minor for my own personal entertainment behind the bushes. Okay. I follow uh, to, to characterize it like that is complete mischaracterization because if I were to do that, Brandon Knight's entire job is to text minors for hours on end, visit them at their homes, and he's going to fly across state lines tomorrow to watch two minors play basketball against each other. Obviously, it's not weird because that's his job. He's recruiting these kids to play basketball, and it's not weird or creepy because it's my job to write about these kids. By the way, in a positive light for Rutgers, because they're coming, they're great basketball players coming to play for Rutgers. The biggest story in, in recent Rutgers history, if we so yeah, we had to cover it and we covered it really well. And that's and I guess I come back to that, and this is what kind of blew me away here. It's like you know, it, it, here's here's this happy moment of of nothing but positive coverage. Well, Brandon Knight created a negative headline in the middle of this. I mean, what is that? Like he and he, he claimed he claimed on Twitter, he's like, well, look, you know, I'm speaking for myself. I'm not speaking for Rutgers. Yeah, well, when awful announcing. Predictably, it's a website with 300,000 Twitter followers. Picked it up. It didn't write Brandon Knight or write Rutgers associate head coach. Takes a shot at a reporter. And like, and it's just this is what this is what uh, this is what he did. And Pat, I got to come back to this. And again, I don't belabor this, but it is pushing it forward. Like, are they prepared for like is is this staff? Are they prepared for what's coming? Like this was this was a big takeaway too when I was thinking about this. Like right now, you've got like. You've got like five or six guys who cover this team. Like yeah. what's, what's going to yeah. happen? Like what's going to happen when there's 70 people 
here because there's two NBA lottery picks in the lineup and there's expectations and there's suddenly a national, it's a national story and you're picked to win the big 10 maybe, or you're certainly picked to have the, the rookie of the year in the, in the big 10. And suddenly everyone in the country is following to see what's going to happen. How are you going to be ready for this? If you're firing back at Ryan for shooting a video, shooting a video of the head coach shaking hands with the number of states, number one prospect in a gymnasium. Why are you going to respond to this if you're, you're firing off t- tweets at Richard Kent? This is stuff that Brandon Knight's done on social media. Right, and look, right, I'm right, sorry. Right. And, and this is what it all comes down to. And just to make this very simple, Brandon Knight needs to be worried about Dylan Harper and Ace Bailey and their prospects and keeping them happy and not worried about what a reporter is doing. Right? Like that's that's his job. Stay in your lane and don't don't ruin everything uh, because like you said, th- there was an embarrassment on social media. And if you can't handle five people covering this team, you got it. You're going to, your eyes are going to be just bulging out of your head when there's 500 covering you at the, you know, in the NCAA tournament and TV shows coming at you and, and talking heads and pundits that are going to be talking negatively about this program. If, if things don't go well. So That's- if you can't handle, you know, a, a reporter shooting a video, try handling, you know, Shaquille O'Neal t- saying that this is the biggest failure in the, in the program's history, right? Like, <laughs> that's what you're dealing with. Yes, and it's it's really going to be an eye-opening thing. And this, and again, like, uh, you know, I mean, Brandon, you want to be a head coach someplace, like, this is part of, this is part of it, man. This is part of it. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's something that uh, you, like, he pushed back on the idea that he didn't need to listen to people around him. But we've got, there's a lot of good people at Rutgers. And we talk to them all the time, like about our coverage, like just to make sure, like you think, well, just this is, this is not how it happens. This is 25 years. This is never, we've never had a beef airing in public about how we cover things. It happens. We have a constant conversation, a constant dialogue with the people at Rutgers about what should be covered, what shouldn't, what what headlines are too negative, positive. And a lot of times we say, you know, you're right. You know, we we got this one wrong. And I hope that they see it as productive and we move on to the next thing. Yeah, there's a reason why it doesn't happen out in the open like this. And um, that's just it was just a really, uh, really odd scene. And uh, and I just come back to that broader point, like an odd scene at what should be like a really happy time. At Rutgers Athletics, like what you know, what are we doing? I just have a couple things I want to before we wrap this up. A lot of people asking, like, why Brandon and I didn't have a conversation. Uh, I just want to make things clear. I was at the game at Don Bosco. I arrived about forty-five minutes before. I sat in the balcony, uh, you know, a couple spots over from Ron Harper Senior, uh, away from everyone. Steve Peichel and Brandon Knight came after I did. They said uh, Steve Peichel said hello to me. I then later spoke to Brandon Knight for about 15 minutes at the tail end of the game. They were well aware I was there. They probably right. saw me filming the scene as I did. I was there in person. If they were worried about me posting a video, they could have told me in person, hey, don't post this. Uh, Brandon Knight has my phone number. He has my Twitter DMs open. We have DMs before. He This is not the first time he's taken issue with something I've written or tweeted, and it's fine. I'm always open to discussing things privately as they should be discussed. I never would have imagined this breaking out. Uh, you know, he's attacked Jim Beheim, Richard Kent, and now me on Twitter. So I am part of the Mount Rushmore of people on his, on his show. Apparently. That's a good three for, like, three for dinner. Who do you want to bring off? That'd be a good dinner conversation. I'd take, I, I'd take that table. All right, that's good. Let's move on. And again, I didn't want to talk about it as much as we did, but obviously we had to get it off our chest and we did. All right. Um, so let's go, let's dive into the Rutgers insider questions. We got a, a bunch of them on that. Like I mentioned, uh, some other good ones. And this was a really interesting one about the death star. And it's kind of been forgotten, not the art, not the Syracuse death star, uh, the, the building that Rutgers was going to build. And then someone asks, does, does Greg Shannon's new contract extension have the stipulation that a football only facility will be built given the NIL landscape? Obviously, that was a huge deal the first time around. It was in the contract. I had forgotten all about it, to be honest with you, Pat. You went back and read the extension. What did you find? It's the it was copy and pasted from the original contract to this contract. It's the same exact language. And it basically says that Pat Hobbs and Greg Shiano have to privately raise 50% of the cost of what the building is going to be. Once they get to 50% privately, uh, the board of governors will kick in and vote on the rest. And then it'll be constructed in a reasonable 
uh, amount of time. So no, there, there are really no changes here, but there is still the stipulation there. It just feels like, like, it, you know, as soon as I lose 30 pounds, like they've been, they're trying to, they've been trying to raise this 50% now for, I mean, since the first, since the original contract, I mean, out of the anywhere, we have no idea how close they are to that. I mean, this is just, are we just kicking the can down the road? Yeah. That's what it feels like. Right. Right. Uh, you know, every time we ask about it, it's all, you know, we're focused on the season. We'll talk about that at the end of the season. And it's just one delay after the other. And and that's how, kind of how the whole facilities are mostly addressed. And, but yeah, so I, I don't, you know, we got one game left and then it's time to ask the question again. So I guess time will tell. Right. Right. They're in a tough spot in this modern day where there are not that many funds to go around and it's, it's, you know, a push and pull between NIL and facilities. And I think very clearly the uh, Rutgers coaching staff believes that NIL is most important. That's how they were able to keep a lot of these key players. Uh, it's how they're able to get a guy like Dimir Miller. And I think they're probably right in the grander scheme of things that you're going to be more successful keeping better players than improving where you practice. So I think unless, you know, a mega donor comes in and decides to donate to the facilities, I think this will kind of just slowly chug along until they eventually reach that 50% mark. All right. Good related question to that about the, uh, about the fundraising. And this is, this is, it's begins based on a recent article in the wall street journal, giving examples, how big donors try to influence their college athletic departments for whom they hire to fill and facilities to be built with Phil Knight at Oregon. An example, who are the biggest donors influences to Rutgers athletics and, or uh, by individual sport? Who does Hobbs, Shiano, Peichel answer on the first ring? That's a great question. And uh, obviously we were wondering, you know, a lot of it, if, 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 if there's somebody behind the behind the scenes pulling strings with with Dylan Harper, I don't. We haven't been able to find it. If that is in fact the case, you know, certainly the names you know, Greg Brown uh, is the biggest one. You know, I think you would look at Jeff and Amy Towers. You look at Ron Garudi. There are names that you've heard a million times. Who are people who have been very generous over the years to this? There is no there's no Phil Knight though. I guess it's, it's the big point to make. It could be Bernard Marcus. Of Home Depot fame, he is not at this point. No, he could be, but he's not. I do wonder, and it's funny. The, the there was this. There's a lot of buzz that perhaps um, people in uh, Wall Street types were involved with the Dylan Harper stuff. We're all speculating here, but that would be, you know, I mean, uh, they've had Rutgers has had success finding people who aren't directly related to Rutgers <laughs> to support Rutgers athletics. I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. Uh, certainly the guy who owns fanatics and of course my, I'm going to blank on his name, but he, he's a, he's a big time New York uh, investor, entrepreneur type guy. Clearly he saw Dylan Harper as someone he wanted to be associated with his company. Um, that would have been true had Dylan Harper gone to Duke. I get it, but still, you know, I wonder if they brought it out, Pat, trying to be creative here to find other sources outside of just the, the Rutgers alum community as well. Yeah, it's a it's fascinating, and I, I I've always heard of like how in Olympic sports that there's a great pipeline of transfers that go from Ivy League schools to Rutgers for a year as a grad transfer, and then go and wa- work on Wall Street. So they're laying this pipeline of uh, at least you know successfully transitioning to professional life. Uh, it'd be really interesting to see how that you know, if that impacts at all fundraising and donations and things like that, because building those connections is one thing. And, and then maybe those athletes become the next great wall street investors. And they say, Oh yeah, I I owe a lot to Rutgers. Maybe that's how you build the pipeline. His name is Michael Rubin. Mike Rubin. There you go. And uh, the other places, Adidas, we've talked about this before. If you see Ace Bailey and Dylan Harper signing Adidas deals when they arrive at Rutgers, then we'll know that they played a big part in this as well. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Good question, though. And one that we're constantly asking ourselves. All right. Very specific basketball question. Uh, who do you predict to be the starting five next year? And predictions on Cliff coming back for one more ride. All right. Cliff is not coming back. I think we're pretty clear on that. Uh, the starting five next year is kind of fascinating because I can't I can't do it for Saturday, much less uh, <laughs> next year with any reasonable. I can put two people in there. I mean, I think it's pretty clear you're going to have Dylan Harper and Ace Bailey in your starting five next year. Brian, you want to give me, you want to fill out the rest of that starting five? Uh, so it depends. I'll give you two, two ideas. A traditional starting five with a center. Uh, I would say Jeremiah Williams, Dylan Harper, Moat Mag, Ace Bailey, 
And whatever center you get out of the portal, I'm not sure Antoine Wolfolk will be ready to be the starting center for a team of that caliber, though certainly is not impossible that a junior, he takes over Cliff's place. Lathan Somerville can't be, can't be a starter. He's not, not a freshman. He's not is good enough ready? as a freshman to start. No. Okay. Um, and I, I look, I, there's the 5% chance that Cliff decides to come back and uh, he starts. I don't think it's likely. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm just saying if he does decide to come back, he would obviously be the starter. And then there's the uh, small ball modern day thing that they could try if they wanted. They could go Jeremiah Williams, Dylan Harper, Muat Mag, Gavin Griffiths, Ace Bailey. I think that is a very interesting starting five. I mm-hmm. um, I, I think that Muat Mag's defense would uh, and Jeremiah Williams' defense would be able to. I just don't think Dylan Harper and Ace Bailey are going to become these elite defenders from day one. And Gavin Griffiths has obviously struggled a bit defensively so far. So I think you're going to need strong defenders in the lineup to make up for that. Uh, But I think that would be a very intriguing five in my mind. But obviously, the portal is still a thing. You could maybe add more talented players if you need to. Who knows what it'll look like. But from where we stand right now, I think that's a pretty, pretty, pretty good uh, place to start at. Yeah, I think you need like in the portal, you need like an experience. And I've said this on this here before, like a Matt Alaco, Princeton experience glue guy, someone who's who who can look at this lineup and say, Hey, look, there's a lot of talent there. I want to come here and be a leader, be part of what's going to be a tournament team. You know, Pat, what I'm talking about, like I don't know who that guy is yeah, if there's more than if if there's only a there might only be one Matt Alaco out there. I get it, but trying to find someone like that who you can plug in and say, Look, you know, here's some intangibles too. I mean, I'm not going to go out there and say, like, you got to get the biggest name in the port, like Hunter, Dick- Hunter Dickinson or something like that. But, like, you know, a guy that can just be the final piece of this team would be is such an attractive position to be in. Mm-hmm. that you, You'd think that that would just be such an easy recruiting pitch um, and, and very easy to see as the recruit. Like, OK, I could be this guy to, to put the final pieces uh, of this team together. So I think you're that, that's a great idea. Right. Uh, good question, though. Uh, all right. Let me see if I got anything else um, before we sign off here. Well, I have one football question, and, and it was a go for Alex and Freehold want to know what are the odds of some of the younger guys in the too deep transferring out of the football program with so many starters coming back? Are there any any guys that were in danger of that? I haven't gotten the sense, Pat, that we're we're really we're really looking at uh, looking at guys who would be contributors who are leaving. Yeah, I. Um... I know like a just a, a theory out there is like Sam Brown probably wants more playing time at running back. Maybe he's mm-hmm. a guy that had a great opportunity, maybe lost that with the way that Kyle Manungai played. Uh, I wouldn't, I don't have any indication that he's unhappy at Rutgers. I think he's very happy at Rutgers. Um, but I think if a player that fits that mold, it would be Sam Brown in my mind. And then, uh, yeah, like I can't really think of any other, uh, you know, two deep guys that were really, you know, could be, could be in there, but uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's just more about development and, and yeah, we'll see where it goes. You don't know until it happens. One of those deals too. Like some of these things just bring obviously with the basketball situation, we've no one who guessed who was in the portal there. And, and to the point it opens up again in the spring where we'd have this conversation again. So we well, shall see. Well, I, I would add, uh, the positions on defense would be the ones like defensive end with Aaron Lewis and Wesley Bailey coming back. A guy like Kenny Fletcher, who's going to be in his third year. Maybe he thought he'd have a more prominent role instead of a third down guy. Maybe he thinks he can have a more prominent role somewhere else. I don't think how many snaps did he play last year though? Right. He played a bunch. I I would have to pull it up, but I mean, he might've played a bunch of snaps. Maybe he wants to be an all down kind of guy instead of a third down kind of guy. Right. Renee Conga, Mm -hmm. a guy who's really emerged, but again, he has kind of some, you know, uh, some jams because of Aaron Lewis and Wesley Bailey coming back. I'm not saying they're with, they're leaving. I'm just saying that those guys kind of fit the mold of what this question is asking. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for running back, I think Aaron Young was the sacrificial lamb yes. at that position because of Kyle Manungai coming back. He didn't have much of a lane to playing time this year, obviously with Kyle Manungai coming back, with Jayshon Benjamin coming back, with a couple of running backs coming in as freshmen in the 24 class. Uh, the kind of room got a little tight and he decided to leave. I think Sam Brown could very well be a change of pace back next year now that he's two years removed from uh, yeah. the foot injury. Yeah, he could be, yeah, he could, and he could absolutely challenge for playing time if he is completely healthy as we, as we well know too. So good problems to have. Uh, all right. What else have we got? Anything else, fellas? That That's uh, I feel like a full show. We're going to obviously be back later in the week to talk about the preview 
the bowl game officially, but do we have any other things we need to cover uh, today? Women's basketball lost to Virginia Tech in a ranked game at home. Feels like they're taking steps forward from last year, but they're still not quite there where they can challenge a ranked team. But uh, it feels like Coquies Washington has the program in the right direction, I would say. Okay. Wrestling? Uh, wrestling's on a little bit of a break uh, through the new year. Um, so no, no updates there, but uh, things will get get really busy, uh, like I said, in the new year. So look forward to that. If you're All interested, right. if you're interested, there's a huge game. Sporting is playing Porto today at uh, in the Ooh. afternoon. I can dive into that if you'd like. And you're getting on a plane. This is even better, right? You're going. You're flying down to to see Dylan Harper and uh, Ace Bailey. Tell us about that. Completely forgot about this. Yes, good point. That's more pertinent to our uh, situation. Yes, I am flying across state lines to watch two minors play basketball. Uh, should be a very fun game. The game is, uh, according to uh, Rutgers rivals, Richie Schneiderite, uh, who is also going to travel to watch this game, will be the two Rutgers beat guys there. Is he really? Wow. Okay. He is, yes, yes. We've discussed uh, our travel plans before. He said uh, this game will be broadcast live on NBA TV, so Rutgers fans at home could watch this game live if you have that in your subscription package. Should be a fun event and just tremendous PR for Rutgers that a national TV broadcast will be talking about Rutgers, 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 these two prominent players are going to Rutgers. Like, uh, I think this is a dream scenario and it'll be fun to see these guys play together all summer, played in all these circuits. Now they're finally going to play against each other before obviously playing together at Rutgers. Um, and they'll obviously both be playing at Rutgers at the end of the month for the battle showcase. Uh, just a lot of interesting things going on with Dylan Harper and Ace Bailey. And I think Rutgers fans should really, really, really enjoy every step of this winter and the next 12 months because you never know when something like this will ever come again. Do either of these teams have a? I know the answer for Don Blasco, but do do does either of these teams have a, a player, a, a second high major player? Or is know. it just is it just for Ace, for Ace and Dylan that this game's on NBA TV? They don't have any other like they're not Montverde who has five high major players. Right. I don't think any of the other teams have like you know top five players. I think Don Bosco, for example, has an interesting seven foot sophomore uh, who is going to get some high major interest. I'm not sure if he's going to be like a top tier player, but I think he'll be there. I'm sure McKeecher has a couple guys who have are getting D1 looks, but no, this is going to NBA TV strictly because of two Rutgers commits, Dylan Harper and Ace Bailey. How about that? How about, what a time to be alive. Incredible. All right. Look forward to reading your stories from down there. Don't hide behind any palm trees <laughs> uh, while you're there. I have a portable um, bush I bring with me everywhere. Portable bush. Uh, I love it. We laugh because we love. All right. Everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks for hearing us out on uh, all this stuff. And we'll be back later in the week to talk about the bowl game. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to the Rutgers Rant. To participate in the conversation and receive live updates about the Scarlet Knights directly to your phone, sign up at nj.com slash insider.